I'm back in Sydney. Hooray! Fantastic. So we can actually do this podcast looking at each other rather looking than each other and, yeah. being 12,000 kilometres away. And you can wince when I say something untoward. <laughs> and I'll know to edit it out. I didn't know if we'd have anything to talk about, but we've got tons, tons mm. and tons to talk about. We're going to talk about one of the aspects that's been raised in relation to the Aurora building in Melbourne, which is that a lot of the overseas investors didn't know what they were signing when they signed proxy forms because the proxy forms were in English mm. and they were just told to sign, mm. or I should say asked to sign. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about good old Airbnb, who sent me an incredibly long letter last week explaining why they have no effect on the housing shortage, <laughs> which comes as a surprise to me and I'm sure a lot of the people who are looking for houses. And then we're going to talk about defects, uh, another tried and tested topic, and some new technology that might help with identifying them before they become a problem. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, I carried a letter or, or edits of a letter in the column and put the whole letter on the Flat Chat website from a woman who is an Airbnb host. And she said the problem for her is it's too easy to go into hosting Airbnb compared to being a residential rental landlord because of the risks that being a residential landlord carries. Mm -hmm. And that's sparked a bit of debate. And lo and behold, I get a letter from Airbnb, a long email saying all these things, all these studies that they'd obviously cut and pasted from a previous press release. Um, you could tell because the typeface changed about a third of the way through. And this letter goes on to list Basically, it's all these surveys and studies that have been done, and they pick out the key phrases that suggest that Airbnb is not the only cause of the housing shortage in Australia, and there are other more significant uh, reasons for a housing shortage, like there are not enough houses or mm, homes being, being built. built. Mm. And the general th thrust of the thing is, kind of to give the impression that Airbnb doesn't have any effect on the housing shortage, mm. which we logically know to be absolute nonsense. Yeah, and there are so many studies now saying that it has a huge impact on the amount of houses and homes available for, for yep. rent in certain suburbs, you know, popular suburbs in Sydney, in Melbourne, and um, in beachside places like Byron Bay. But it, because it tends to be really focused, it's very easy to fudge the figures. Sure, because then they can say, well, you know, maybe there's it has no effect on, say, Camden in southwest Sydney, you know. Yeah. And that would bring down the, the figures for the Bondi Beach, for example. But I believe, I mean, I think the last time I looked, there's something like fifty or 60,000 homes in New South Wales alone that are not available for residential rentals. 60,000 homes. Mm. How can they say or suggest that they have no effect? And it's all this false equivalence they use. 
oh, look at the, they haven't built enough houses. They haven't built all the flats they said they were going to build. That's true. That doesn't mean you don't have an effect on the housing shortage. And they say, oh, look at all the empty homes. Mm. We're helping to fill the empty homes. You're helping to fill them with tourists. You're not helping to fill them with people who need permanent homes. And for maybe weekends or holiday periods, not the whole year round. Yeah. Mm. So, I, you know, I've written to them basically and said, you guys came in with this nonsense about sharing. I mean, they started off with people actually sharing a room in their apartments or their, mm. their houses. And then you made this whole sharing thing when in fact all you were doing was renting. And I said, here's my definition of well, sharing. I, to be fair, Jimmy, it probably started out as the sharing economy. We well, did. You know, lots of people renting out a spare room in their mm-hmm. houses to earn a bit of extra income, yeah. which was great. But very soon it became commercialized and yeah. monetized yeah. And, and people started buying places just to rent out on short-term platforms. I mean, or, not just or even Airbnb, renting places. Yep, or renting Taking them. them right directly out of the rental market, renting a place and then making it Airbnb and not even telling the owners that, that they were doing sure. that. Absolutely. So it became corrupted very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and th- and that's the big problem, isn't it? I mean, you know. Well, the other big problem is the fundamental dishonesty of saying this is all about sharing when it's not, and then refusing to let academics or, or uh, authorities look at their figures because they say, oh, it's a matter of privacy. Mm, yeah. So we can never tell what the figures are because they won't let us see, and they are asking us to believe that they are honest about in, in their dealings, when thus far they have failed to be honest. And I was interested, there was a, in one of the Trump trials uh, the other day, there was a judge in America said, you have to be honest and not telling the facts, not revealing the full facts mm. is a form of lying. Yeah. <laughs> so if that's coming from judges in America, where Airbnb come from, you've got to take it seriously. So anyway, they have sent this thing and I'm tempted to put it on the website so people can judge for themselves. Mm. In the meantime, closer to home, there's a bit of a stoush down in Randwick, is it? Um, Well, I think councils across New South Wales now are kind of considering that it's a huge problem. And many of them are now calling on the new Labour government to cap the amount of time properties can be rented on platforms like Airbnb Mm. to help increase housing supply. It was a report in the Daily Telegraph on Monday. And, And although... You know, we often can't get meaningful um, data from Airbnb. We can get data from other sources. And this story quotes um, council data showing 4.4% of all housing in the north of the LGA of Randwick, which takes in Coogee, Clovelly, Randwick and Kensington, are solely holiday lit. So that's 4.4% of all housing, which means there'll be a 1,000 fewer rentals in the area. Right. And that's a huge number. I mean, it's a, it sounds it's quite really a small quite, area. Yeah. And it sounds quite insignificant, 4.4%. But when you think a thousand fewer homes to, to let, yep. it's incredible. And inside Airbnb, who look at Airbnb, yeah, we know data, them well. Yeah. They say there were 15,763 listings of entire homes on Airbnb for metropolitan Sydney in March. Right. It's 15,763. So that's 15,000, nearly 16,000 homes that are not available for people to rent. That's right. So, So, I mean, even if that's not going to solve the whole of the housing crisis, 
it's going to help if you get them back into residential rentals, surely. It's really going to ease the crisis, you'd think, even momentarily. Yeah. Which is, you know, for for those people who just can't afford a place to to rent where they would like to. I mean, it's interesting. It's a great story, The Telegraph. Um, We've got the the Randwick mayor, Dylan Parker, says he can't even afford – to to live in his constituency in Randwick, he has to rent in Maroubra. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I guess yeah. he's not kind of like a, a you it's, know, he's not in the same category as police officers and nurses and those kind of really important yeah, people like politicians. But, but um, yeah. well, it damages his standing as the mayor if he doesn't even live in his constituency mm, and his, yeah. you know, his his borough. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing so many really sad stories about. People trying to rent homes, you know, going to um, every inspection, and there's a huge queue of people. Yeah. And God, it must be so hard. And, and people so voluntarily people... outbidding and offering more money. Yeah, sure. And people having to force to couch surf on friends' places or, or... sleep in cars. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that, that'll horrible. be the next Airbnb thing share a car. <gasps> oh, dear, you don't. <laughs> I just think, you know, one of the things these Airbnb people said to me was, Look, you know, it's the housing shortage is the real cause of the housing shortage is that not enough homes are being built. Absolutely. So but I, I would say to Airbnb, okay, piss off back to America for a couple of years until we get these houses built. <laughs> and then come back and start renting with your sharing and caring nonsense. Yeah, they're right. The main cause is not enough homes are being built, but they are part of the problem and they're mm. definitely not as they would like us to think part of the solution no that's right and it's kind of hard because we want more investors in housing because we then then there would be more homes to rent but you know if if somebody buys a home and thinks okay i can get a much better deal i can get a better income from renting on a short-term platform than a residential rent then it's kind of really hard to say to them well you shouldn't be doing that no. If that option wasn't there mm. or the government made it less financially worthwhile for them, yeah. perhaps offering them an inducement to, to put their home back on a residential long-term let, yeah. then maybe the choice would be much easier. I mean, one of the things that came out of this discussion we had recently um, from the, the woman in Tasmania and her letter is that a lot of landlords feel that the law is skewed in favour of tenants and that if you go to a tribunal with a tenant, the the tenant is always going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I know, I know. And I think what we, uh, the problem with this is there's a lot of anecdotal horror stories about people trashing the properties and, Mm. you know, bringing in pets and not, Getting permission for the pets and then the pets wreck, you know, they, they poo all over the place. I mean, and these things do happen. I think the problem is there's not enough definitive data mm. on how many good tenants there are and how many genuinely bad tenants, or I should I say how few genuinely bad tenants there are around. And there, as I said in my coverage of the letter, there are blacklists for want of a better word, mm. of bad tenants 
There aren't any for bad landlords. There's mm. nowhere you can go and you say, oh, I'm, I'm renting through oh, this there's agency. there's been a couple of apps that have started up but and they're, they're trying to, to do that kind of thing. But it's really difficult, obviously, well, with our legal system as well. Yeah. Saying somebody's a bad landlord, I mean, that's potentially very defamatory. And so, yeah, it really limits their ability to, to inform tenants. And I think the way the law stands, I mean, it's different in different states. Your landlord, just because you might win a case at a tribunal or or win a rebate on your rent or something will put you on a bad tenant list. And it's up to you to find out that you're on it, why you're on it, and to get yourself off it. And that can, I mean, in a time like this, when you're struggling just to get to the front of the queue on housing, you, any black mark against your name mm. is going to mean that you're going to be sleeping in your car, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's an unequal system, but I don't think our friends at Airbnb are helping one jot, and they're certainly not helping by spewing out cherry-picked information from dubious sources. After this, we're going to be looking at another problem which uh, is in search of solutions, and that's not just the Aurora building in Melbourne, but the whole question of what do owners think they're voting for when they hand over their proxy? That's after this. And we're back. Okay, this section is a bit of a preview of my column for this week's Fin Review. All right. And it's related to the Aurora building in Melbourne. That's the one that's... Uh, Notoriously, it's a huge building. It's actually got about four or five strata schemes within the building. And the chair of the owners corporation has been accused of mismanagement and, which she's denied, and uh, of proxy harvesting, which she has denied. But basically, the whole building is in upheaval. I think there's four or five cases against it in the logjam that is otherwise known as VCAT, the Victorian Tribunal. Mm. Um, and there are a couple of legal actions for payment from management companies that were summarily dismissed, um, and, and they're up for millions of dollars. Um, so it's a bit of a mess. Mm. And then uh, there's a very good report. I'll put the link on uh, the the website. Uh, the ABC News uh, did a report where one of the owners says, well, there's 25% of the owners that live overseas and they don't speak English, a lot of them, and don't read English, a lot of them. So when they get sent a proxy form with a, a request to please sign this and send it back, they do because culturally they're probably inclined just to do what the authorities, as they see them, want them to do. And so this is added to the whole proxy farming allegations and it was suggested that all the forms and all the information because mm. there's also the, the the other thing is that people living overseas even people living interstate don't understand what strata laws in victoria are and it's been suggested that they translate into the languages of the predominant um, cultural groups in the building which seems fair and reasonable to me except it's hard enough to get people who read English to read all the information about living in strata schemes. People don't read the minutes 
of the committee meetings. Uh, they don't read the agendas. They don't read the minutes of their AGMs, unless there's something that really affects them directly. So how does one get people to read anything to do with strata? Yeah, it's very hard, isn't it? I guess it's always an issue trying to get people to read memos. I was watching an old Office um, episode the other night where Steve Carell is leaving as the boss of Dunder Mifflin and he's being replaced by a new boss. And they say, oh, the problem is nobody reads memos here. And Steve Carell says, oh, I came up with a perfect solution. I put urgent on memos. And that would make people, he said, I thought that would make people read the memos. And he said, and even better, I put urgent A, and so people would know to really read that memo, urgent B, so they would know to read that memo, and urgent C, so they would know never to even bother to read it. (laughs) So it's kind of, you know, it's always been an issue. Yeah, I mean, people just don't want to read what they don't want to read. Mm. Um, and you know, it could be another problem. It could, it could be another problem. Issue. Yeah, They're you know, busy. I was just thinking the other day, I'm going to have to stop reading about American politics because it just makes me angry and upset and there's really nothing I can do about it. Mm. So, And I think a lot of people have that attitude when it comes to reading about their own homes, surprisingly enough. I know one of our correspondents on the website said that he's turned up at meetings where something has been decided and they go to the next AGM and somebody turns up and says, this is an outrage. Why didn't we know about this? And he said, well, we had uh, three committee meetings about it and we put it in the agenda and we put it in the minutes. And uh, the person has come back and said, yeah, but you didn't tell us to read the minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's that thing of... You've got to tell us when things that are important to us are in the minutes, which is mm. ridiculous, you mm. know. But, but that's a, a fact of life. And it doesn't matter what language they're in, people tend not to want to read stuff like that. They've got enough going on in their lives. I don't know what the answer to that is. It did occur to me that, and, and I've suggested this, I was actually going to do it as an April Fool thing, but I was away, that we should have compulsory voting in Strata. Mm. Because oh, how do you police that though? I mean, how can you levy fines on people when they don't vote? You levy fines on them. You add it to the yeah, add it to the yeah. You didn't vote. You didn't send a proxy. I don't know if that would solve anything, but it might make people more mm. aware. Oh, my other suggestion was you could have a a quiz with a with a a, a luxurious prize at every AGM, like <laughs> like a trivia night. Turn the AGM into a trivia night. You know, what is our rule on smoking on your balcony? That would be fun, wouldn't it? Or you could have a multiple choice thing on your computer when you turn up at the real estate agent to get your keys for your new rental or your your the, your new apartment that you've purchased. They sit you down at a computer and it comes up with three questions, mm. you know, and it could be, what is the strata manager? Oh, is okay. he a so like a driving license? Yeah, a little thing. And if you can get the three or four basic things right, they'll say, "Oh, they, here you go. Here's your keys. If you don't get them right, come back tomorrow. Here's some literature you should read, and mm. come back tomorrow, and we'll do the test again." Yeah, oh. I can, cannot see that happening <laughs> in a million years. I like the trivial pursuits idea, though. I think that could add an extra dimension to to strata meetings. Yeah, because I remember I was on a plane once, and it was. This plane was going from Townsville to to Birdsville, and it stopped maybe eight times at little towns on the way. Yeah. And 
every time we took off, the the air hostess had to give the same speech about where the exits were and stuff. Yeah. And so obviously everybody got very bored. Nobody was taking any notice. And then she started saying, okay, I'm going to have a quiz now. Can anybody tell me where the exit, nearest exits are? And then we had to put up our hand and we had to answer. And then if we won, she would throw us bars of chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, it was a fantastic way. I learned more in that than ever before because I think normally you just kind of, you don't really listen to it. Yeah. I mean, you look like you listen, but it doesn't actually sink in. But I actually learned, you know, where the, the yellow jackets were going to be, where the, how to, to work the whistle. It was just because <laughs> I really wanted a chocolate bar and everybody on the plane was totally engaged. Oh, yeah. So I think trivial pursuits at strata meetings. Right. That could be the way to go, Jimmy. Okay. Um, You've lost your track of what you're talking about now. No, I'm just I'm thinking. I was thinking about the safety videos that they have on the Vietnam Airlines now, which are really kind of cute and funny. Um, but they're dancing. They're people in traditional costumes mm. dancing in strange movements, like you're not allowed to smoke. You know, it's like a smoking movement and then crossed arms. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's great. I've spent a lot of time on Vietnam Airlines yeah, in lately. the past two mm. months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so how do you get people to read things? I don't know. Tell them the building's falling down. Probably that would get them to read things. Mm. Um, and talking about buildings falling down, uh, we're going to look at some defects and some solutions for defects after this. And we're back. So you have found something interesting about defects. Yes, I mean... Det detecting defects. Yeah, because obviously we're still getting defects in buildings everywhere, commercial buildings and residential buildings. There was a report last week about a, a big new building in Cronulla. Yeah. Um, and the new owners of, I think, the penthouse were saying, were alleging bad defects in their place and yep. terrible pictures of mould and damp and stuff. So it's just a terrible thing. But there is hope because there is apparently new eye-tracking technology that's being developed by Australian engineers to identify building defects very early on in the process, like during construction, which could obviously save yeah, yeah. owners a huge amount of heartache and uh, developers and builders millions of dollars in rectifying them later. Absolutely, because as we know, it costs 10 times as much to fix a problem mm. after the building's complete as it does to fix it while it's being built. Yeah. So this technology is part of 3D headsets and construction workers put on the headsets and they can look through the building and apparently they can cut down on an estimated 60% of building costs related to fixing mistakes. So they can, can look and they can see maybe what's wrong. Right. And, you know, because they do normal checklists, or they're meant right. to. Yeah. But this gives them a much better view of everything that's on their checklists. I've just got a terrible vision of a builder with a virtual reality headset on just wandering off the edge of a building. Oh, because, don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, presumably it's not quite like that. No. Yeah. They would think it'd probably be a bit safer. Yeah. I also noticed uh, in... LinkedIn, um, David Chandler has published a list of the value added from having an ISERT rating. Oh. And based on the, the average value of an apartment and the, or the cost of an apartment, the average cost of an apartment and the star rating, um, and the value. Now, 
in the middle of this, he's a terrible man for his acronyms and his initials, David Chandler. Mm. Um, it's obviously the sign of a very busy person. And there's something in there that kind of relates, but basically it says for a $750,000 apartment that's got a four and a half star ICERT rating, the value, added value is 7,500. It cannot be that. There's something missing in there. Mm. I mean, you really, would you, you go to all that trouble to be, to be able to charge seven and a half thousand dollars more for one apartment? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah anyway, I don't know. I can't. Anybody who's, who's, uh, subscribes to David's feed in LinkedIn, who's seen that and understands it, please let us know. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll try to explain it to people. But I think as a concept, it's a great idea. Nothing focuses people's minds in strata quite like money. Yeah. And if you can say, this is the value you're getting out of a four and a half star ISAT rating, then it gives something people can hang on to and they can get a sense of what they're paying for, mm. which is good. Mm. Um, and that's that's it, basically. I mean, maybe money is the answer to getting people to read their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe um, you can get a discount on your levies. Yeah, or they hide a code, like an Easter egg in the <laughs> in the online version. If you click on the code, you get a discount. Mm. I mean, remember somebody? Remember the, the really popular book, uh, Stephen Hawking's mm. "The Short History of Time." Yep. And there was a, an author who went around putting um, notes in copies of the books in bookshops about two thirds of the way through. There's a little slip of paper. It said, if you read this, email me on this address, I will send you a hundred pounds. Yes, that's right. <laughs> he did, he did about 10 of them or a hundred of them, or didn't get a single response. <laughs> Nobody got that far through the book. No. <laughs> Brief history of time, it was called. Stephen Hawking's, late Stephen Hawking's. Hmm. On that note, thank you for hosting me. Thank you for helping me while I was traveling overseas. And, um, thank you for your, invaluable contribution okay pleasure jimmy and it's so nice to see you smiling at me (laughs) across the table and thank you all for listening we'll talk to you again soon bye bye thanks for listening to the flat chat rap podcast you'll find links to the stories and other references on our website flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher or your favorite podcatcher just search for flat chat rap with a w click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying thanks again talk to you again next week